In the past, we've had the pleasure of welcoming a presidential candidate to this podcast. Ron Paul joined us on episode number 382. And today, we're pleased to have yet another candidate for the highest office in the land joining us for a conversation. You've likely heard by now that Brock Pierce is running for president, and we've got questions for him about why he is the right man for the job. And to make things even more interesting, Mr. Tim Draper is along for the ride. Tim is supporting Brock's bid for presidency, and this episode is absolutely packed with great content, mostly because they do most of the talking. And I would say, folks, that this is quite possibly one of our most important interviews and definitely one of the most entertaining interviews that we've ever done. And to commemorate this occasion, we've got a new proof of listening NFT that you can grab if you're fast. It's the Brock the Vote, episode number 448 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, Who's bad? And indeed, this is one of the most important interviews that we are putting out to the world featuring Mr. Brock Pierce and Tim Draper here on the Bad Crypto Podcast. That's where you found yourself. I'm Joel Kahn, and that guy over there wearing the Kansas City Royals hat, that would be Mr. Travis Wright. That's true, but you cannot see that. I can see it. You can see it because we do video. I mean, they have to believe me. That is true. We are the podcast for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. And along the way, we lost the crypto furious. I don't know where he went. We don't. He's he lost everything in the the big crash of 2018. Never came, never came back again. He got so mad that. Uh, by the way, speaking of video, we actually did record our interview with Brock and Tim on video. And so, if you go to our YouTube or library channel, uh, Bad Crypto Podcast, you'll be able to watch the video of the interview if you prefer to see faces when lips are moving. That is true. And we got an amazing show sponsor for this episode. It's a game changer for gaming generation. If you like to play games, regardless if you like to play games or not, gaming is something that is a very, very huge industry. And check this out. If you have a gaming computer or a powerful computer, you can actually earn substantial amounts of money each month with Gamer Hash. And uh, so you can use blockchain to pay for that spare computing power or for whatever you like. You can maybe use it to pay for a new computer, pay for your internet. Gamer Hash connects uh, blockchain and, uh, and using your computing power, your spare computing power, uh, to turn it into crypto for you. So gamers, blockchain it's amazing you can uh, i think they said within two years they've reached four hundred thousand customers and i believe mr joe com that in your first couple of weeks you've earned what 20 something 30 dollars or so yeah it's more than 30 bucks now I'll, I'll i'll make 40 bucks for the month it's on track for that right now by the way um we have an interview with gamer hash coming up i believe it's currently slated for october 8th where we'll do more in depth on this. But if you've got a high-end PC machine, um, you want to be running GameHash because it's basically, you know, free Bitcoin. Yeah. And they are actually, they are paying you out in Bitcoin. Is it GamerHash.io or GamerHash.com? I think it's both. Yes. It is both. Right on. Yes. Uh, also, you know, kind of in the gaming arena, just because it's a lot of fun, just a reminder that the Nifty Box is launching on Tuesday. Uh, that is the 29th of September at 12 
Eastern time. We talked about this uh, on the Nifty show. We haven't said too much about it on this show, but we are launching a NFT subscription box, the world's first on the Wax blockchain. And we're going to be dropping all kinds of collectibles, rare items, original artwork. There's going to be serious FOMO if you don't get a membership. Only 100 NFT King memberships are being made available and 250 NFT star. Go to the niftybox.com to get all the details. They are there. And speaking of NFTs, Travis, we've got a commemorative NFT for this particular episode. And to have a chance to get it because they are going to be limited, you'll want to listen in after the interview with Brock and Tim. So what do you say we just go ahead and get to the interview? Let's do it. And through the magic of technology, we're all in the same room, though we are in disparate places somewhere in these United States of America. We've got Mr. Brock Pierce, candidate for the highest office in the land and the most powerful office in the world. And Mr. Tim Draper, who's also very powerful, but not as powerful as if you were president. Hey guys. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, I'm thrilled that Brock is running for president. I think we need somebody who's looking forward, has a vision for the country. I, I think it's really exciting to have somebody who understands crypto, understands DeFi, understands all the things that, that could potentially be done with a government now that we have all these new technologies. So Brock, we're all, we're behind you. This message brought to you by the Brock the Vote campaign. <laughs> wow. um, thank, thank you, Tim. And your words matter so much to me because you and your family have done more than I think any family I can think of to support the American dream, to support innovation, not only in this country, but in the world, to support entrepreneurship, small business, and in times like these, my heart is just breaking because of what's happening because of COVID. All of these small businesses, these restaurant owners, these mom and pops, and just to watch Amazon, Walmart, and Costco just gobble it all up. And, you know, there's no putting these bands back together again. Many of these businesses are failing uh, forever. And it just, it's um, as, as someone who does so much to support the American dream, I just want to continually uh, uh, sing your praises because it's still that thing that gives, you know, people hope. It's the reason why people still want to come to this country. It's the reason why, you know, we still have it. The American dream is not dead, but uh, it, it, it's definitely taken a good kick to the head. Yeah, and I think we did it to ourselves. I mean, we, 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 over, we thought COVID was a, um, something that was going to tear us um, apart and we tore ourselves apart instead so it is this is it is horrible because i mean the short-term fix is oh yeah everybody wear a mask and we all lock down and all that but long term you are destroying lives you're destroying businesses you're destroying all that anyway i'm happy to be here at bad crypto because hey the the great things that are happening in crypto are really what make it all have make it all a great opportunity <laughs> I, I i still have a problem with the, the name of your your uh business bad crypto but because 
I think crypto is really awesome. <laughs> well, crypto, awesome crypto, crypto is awesome. We're bad. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's like bad to the bone. Like there's, the, you know. The oh, yeah. Part. It's like bad with Michael Jackson was bad. That was bad. Exactly. Was bad. Well, we're, we're glad you guys are here. Actually, this was something that came about during virtual blockchain week because we had interviewed you both separately. And Travis, I think you mentioned this while we were speaking with Brock. Yeah, we were talking about that because I know that we had we had an amazing conversation with you, Tim. And then the person who was supposed to be after you was unable to show up. And then you just said, we just kept on going. So we just had we had like a almost an hour conversation that was supposed oh my to be God, we must minutes. have put them all to sleep. Oh, it was great. And you guys were, you were talking about universal basic income. Then we had a conversation later on with Brock and Brock was talking about universal basic income, but what he was calling universal basic sustenance, which maybe has evolved since then. So we wanted to get you guys on. Oh no, it's even better. Universal basic. Earned. Universal Wait. earned income. Earned I like the, the semantics of the word earned. And so the question is, how did you earn it? Mm -hmm. You earned it by participating. You earned it by being an American. And to know that like, this is where that pride comes from. Semantics matter. It's like the idea of a hand out versus a hand up. And so, you know, semantics and words matter. But yeah, I called it UBS before, universal basic sustenance. But I like the word earned. I've evolved to UEI. And the idea is we're gonna need it. We're gonna need it. You know, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a conscious capitalist, but I'm very pragmatic and realistic, right? COVID has created massive unemployment. Technology is replacing us, replacing our jobs. It's, and it's gonna affect everyone, right? You've got three and a half million truck drivers. I think we've got over, you know, 10 million, you know, Uber and Lyft and taxi drivers. These jobs are disappearing. It's not just service jobs. It's stock pickers. It's lawyers. It's surgeons. Technology is going to replace a lot of our jobs. And that is not a bad thing. I live, you know, to serve. I live to work. A lot of people work to live or survive. And if we can get rid of those jobs that people don't want to do, and we can find a way to make sure that everyone's most basic needs, right, are met, that people have just enough so that no one in this country is starving to death, that no one that wants shelter doesn't have some form of shelter over their head, and so everyone has access to some sort of healthcare. And then from there, it's the pursuit of happiness. We are not guaranteeing the good life. You then gotta make something. But if we manage it, remember technology is not good or bad. It is amoral, it is a tool. How we use it is what matters, which is why we need visionary leadership that understands the road ahead and can navigate it. So we get the most optimal outcome so that technology is here as a tool to enhance our lives. And if we play our cards right, we could end up with a renaissance where people have the room, the space to breathe, where people are not feeling desperate with their backs up against the wall, feeling like they have no voice, feeling like they're not acknowledged, which causes them to react. When you feel desperate, you know, when your back is again, when you're in a corner, your values and principles become secondary to survival, which is why we're seeing all this tension and these things happening. If we don't find a way to make sure that people feel like they have a voice acknowledged and have their basic needs met, you know, it could end up in a civil war. And I think that universal earned income is the answer. 
Technology is changing the world. We have to find a way. And we have the resources. We are the United States of America. We are the wealthiest country in the world. We do not have a resource problem. We have a resource allocation problem. We have an efficiency problem. We have an accountability problem. These are things where if guys like Tim and I could get in there and start to fix things, we have a garden that is overgrown. We just keep planting and planting and planting and planting, but we never do any pruning. You know, <laughs> what do you expect? We have a system that is so overgrown. Let's get in there with the weed whacker and start like, you know, making things look right, having things make some sense, common sense. You know, Sounds dollars. to me like uh, Tim Draper might make a, an excellent cabinet member for a, uh, a Brock Pierce presidential. Absolutely. Staff. Well, I, I think um, we'll, we'll let Brock figure all that out. But um, what I, I, I love his platform. I think he's, he's really pursuing it in the right way. Um, on the, the um, technology replacing jobs, I actually think it replaces the mundane tasks of jobs, but that people will create new jobs that are more abstract. Um, you know, we aren't digging with our hands very often, um, unless we're doing it for fun. We're not digging with our hands to put plants in the ground because somebody invented the hoe and then after that, they invented the tractor and then they invented a self-driving tractor. So we don't actually have to do that. And the same thing's going to happen with driving cars. We can still drive them, but they're going to be self-driving. They're going to be, uh, you're going to be able to just hail a car and that's going to take you wherever you want to go. And it probably will be flying. And and um, and so that means that the Uber driver is um, is you say out of work. No, the Uber driver has something new that they can do. Um, there might be a, a new job that monitors all those cars that are going in all those different directions. There might be a new job of, of um, managing the airspace. Um, but there are, but whenever we lose jobs, we create new jobs because we're we're human. We evolve. We figure things out. I like the idea of Uber air traffic control, but you know what? As I think about it, I think Lyft is better positioned to capitalize on that brand, right? If we're going to go to flying cars, <laughs> it brings a new meaning to getting a Lyft. It's a better brand. <laughs> and, and by the way, to, to be clear, I agree with everything Tim has just said, which is why I use the words: if we play our cards right we could experience a renaissance you know, in this country with a lot of abstract and creative jobs. We're getting rid of the mundane, the jobs that no one really wants right now, the ones where people are doing that to survive and people will have a chance to start to do things that, they, that they're passionate about, things that they want to do. You know, the things that I get to do, I do what I want. I do what brings me joy, which is to help and serve others. But you know, a lot of people don't have that luxury and I think that if we do things correctly, that this can be something that expands to a much larger subset, hopefully a majority of Americans. You know, there are also um, things that, uh, you know, Brock can do that these guys who are, you know, old and running for president and feel like the, the world's still concerned about things that were 40, 50 years ago were problems um, is that he can take advantage of the fact that, Hey, we got new technologies. We've got Bitcoin. We've got the blockchain. We got smart contracts. We've got artificial intelligence. 
We've got uh, surveillance, better surveillance. All these things, you put those things together and you can create a whole new form of insurance company. You can, a whole new system of banking, a whole new uh, way of operating real estate and managing real and maintaining um, uh, real estate title, a whole new system of government. And, and what is government, but it's like 80% insurance programs. Well, those insur- that insurance is, is in the dark ages. We can create an insurance company with an actuary, a bunch of smart contracts and some surveillance, and we can do a much better job than these insurance companies that are out there today. And, and then, so once you can do that, you can replace um, Medicare. You can replace with, with something much more efficient, much more effective, and, and much more health driving. You can you can replace uh, social security with something much more efficient, much more effective. You can replace um, workman's compensation insurance. All of those insurance programs that make up a huge part of the national budget can be run much thinner with with a lot less overhead and create much happier customers than what happens today. Um, you know, your house burns down you know, and you, you've been paying your, your premiums and all of a sudden you've got this claim and it takes you months and you have to fight with lawyers and you have to, you know, and they bring in inspectors and whatever else. I mean, you just have good surveillance and you go, yeah, that house burned down. We will get you your money. We had, you know, huge fires here. I see where they were. I see your house was there. Yes, you are going to get your money. You get it immediately. You don't, have to wait six months and ruin all these lives. Well, that sort of thing happens. Um, and, and I think Brock also has, is looking at it in this great way where, hey, let's, let's make sure we're taking care of uh, everybody's basic needs and let them all um, from there figure out what they want to do and how they want to grow. And God, I mean, we've, we've somehow let education just go to the, teachers union bosses and it's mm. it has been a disaster now why can't we just repair our education system you know you there are so many things that you can do by creating freedom allowing people to create lots of different kinds of schools and you know let let people educate people toward a, a career toward a, a great way of living toward a a uh, and and allow people to teach whatever, allow free speech to spread. Um, somehow we're losing our free speech. You guys should know about that. I mean, you're, there are certain things you can't say on the air or else you're going to have people, you know, pounding down your door to burn down your house. We're going to get canceled. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we've, been, we've had some attempted cancellations, but they can't cancel us at this point, I think. There's we've decentralized enough. <clears throat> we don't need you Google. Can- the you only can, thing you really uh, need today is, is uh, if you're doing a podcast, is Apple because Apple runs most all of that. But now they got Spotify. But you know, it, it is you can get canceled pretty quickly in America today. One of our biggest wins is something called unstoppable domains. You can buy bad crypto dot crypto or just bad dot crypto, and uh, and put it up, and no one can take it down. And that is going to be really powerful. Um, you know, I think. It's interesting. 
the best leaders in the world, the ones who've really made the greatest impact are the ones who are willing to push down their own power for the good of their country or their, their area, their region. George Washington did that. Um, Gorbachev did that. Deng Xiaoping did that. They, they didn't aggrandize themselves. They pushed their power away and they created a platform from which everyone else created and built and whatever their, their own lives. And as soon as one person decides what they think all the rest of us are supposed to do, um, they, they just destroy the economy. And that's what socialism is. And that is a big mistake. You don't want your economy controlled centrally. You just don't. It didn't work in Russia. It didn't work in China under Mao. It didn't work in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, if, you're, if you're from South Korea, you really understand this, because if you go over the DMZ, you see the country that's been centrally controlled, and it's everybody's dying and living in poverty and freezing to death and starving. And then you go to South Korea and everybody's thriving because they have a free market and an open system and everybody's better off. And I think um, Brock knows that, hey, I'm just, he's, he kind of goes, hey, I'm just doing this because we need that freedom back. We need to be able to give everybody sort of a base level of life and then let them go because I, I'm not going to be able to decide what everybody out there should be doing for their livelihood they will know better. It, it's like the top-down CEOs are no good. It's the bottom-up CEOs that really, really thrive, the ones who understand how to get the information from the front lines to the top. Mm, that's it's, great. Hey, Brock, do you think that it, it seems to me that, that what Tim is talking about is really what you mentioned pre-show was upgrading the United States operating system a bit because there's so many layers of some will call it swamp some will just call it unelected bureaucracy throughout this system that is just there's just so much of it you, that's what you're talking about planting so many seeds but not ever pruning anything what does upgrading the united states operating system look like to you so twofold but i'll start with just a brief summary of why i'm doing this because it has something to do with tim, what tim just said I'm doing this out of love. Not something you're ever gonna hear in politics. I'm running because I love this country. I love the American people. And I believe and have faith in us. And I see a lot of fear and I see a lot of heat and hate. And I wanna remind the American people to fear less and love more, love is the answer. And it's something that I think we need to hear. I know that sounds a little weird coming out of a politician's mouth but it's true and it's important that we remember this. And so in terms of the US government, you can double click on just about any piece of it and you'll see that there's tremendous room for upgrading. And think of it like buying a house. Do you remodel it or do you knock it down and rebuild it? And so a lot of the US government definitely needs a remodeling. Well, all of the U.S. government needs a remodeling or a complete like tear down and rebuild. There's tremendous opportunity to fix things here. 
but I want to take us all the way up to 70,000 feet. And I want to bring us back to what is our goal? What is our aim? What is our vision? What is our destination as a nation? So historically, governments would measure their success by growth, by GDP, gross domestic product. The problem with growth is it assumed infinite resources and that we could keep expanding into more land. Problem is we ran out of land. And so what's happened is we've now turned on each other, which is why there's so much conflict. Because for me to grow, I got to take from you. And there's a lot of that sort of mentality, the scarcity sort of mentality. The other problem with growth is it doesn't differentiate or distinguish between positive and negative growth. Meaning cancer creates growth. Locking people up in prison creates growth. Forest fires, hurricanes create growth. What kind of growth do we want to incentivize? So as a systems designer, I understand the importance of incentives. What are we incentivizing? Because what we incentivize, we usually get. And so I think it's time that re we reevaluate our units of measurement, the way that we measure our success as a nation. Our founding fathers had a very powerful intention for this country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What if we, the people, started to hold our government accountable? What if we started to measure our success as a nation by life? Did you know that life expectancy in the United States is in decline despite all of our advancements in medicine, science, and technology? What if we started to measure our success by life expectancy? That would affect policy in a big way. I think that would affect our environment in a big way. I think it would affect the private sector over time in a big way that would lead to the American people living healthier, better lives with preventative medicine. Pharmaceutical companies would start curing things rather than treating things. Everything would start to, what we incentivize over time, I don't mean force, it's how do we measure our success? If you don't have a unit of measurement or a goal, you're gonna get what we get. So the next one, liberty. We're supposed to be the land of the free. What if we started to measure our success by liberty and freedom? We wouldn't have more people in prison than anywhere in the world per capita. Our police departments that want to arrest more people to get a bigger budget, to hire more cops, to arrest more people, to get a bigger budget, to, uh, uh, to uh, hire more cops, to arrest more people, to get a bigger budget. It's just growth, blind growth. If our police departments were measured by our freedom, their goal would be to arrest as few people as possible. The problem is we don't have a goal. And then lastly, the pursuit of happiness with universal earned income, everyone's got their basic needs met. So everyone has an opportunity at happiness and then it's up to them and what they do. But like the kingdom of Bhutan measures its success by the happiness of its people. I recommend we take a step back and reevaluate what is our definition of success? What is our goal as a collective, as a people? And I think life, liberty, and happiness are three very interesting things that if we made that our goal and if we held our government accountable to it, by the year 2030, we would live in a very different United States of America. And if we started to upgrade our systems, restructure our systems, replace our systems, I think we'd have America 2.0. Are you, know, you ready focusing, for that? Are you ready for America 2.0? What do you think of this idea? When you talk about life, liberty, and happiness, it's, it's kind of rebooting you know, the, the ideals that America was based on. I want to go back to the universal earned income again. I like the change in terminology because there's a lot of resistance from some people when you say a universal basic income, 
who's paying for that? The money's got to come from somewhere. When you're talking about earning it, now I see that there's some means of production in there. So how does a universal earned income work and who is paying for it? So uh, this is something we ultimately still have to decide collectively. And I invite you to be a participant in that ongoing conversation. I invite you to take a seat at the table. Um, there's one of two ways that seem to be most likely. One is the government does it by giving a monthly check every month of call it 1200 bucks or something along those lines. I don't think that we need to raise taxes. As I said, we've got plenty of resources. We don't have a resource problem. It's an allocation, efficiency, and accountability problem. We can restructure a bunch of programs that are incredibly inefficient and deliver the same result. And I think what's important, again, as a system designer, is that every American receives it. When we design systems, we want it to be for everyone, for all. The minute we say it's for you, but not you, when we, the minute we start drawing lines and start to exclude and include, this is where conflict begins. A really well-designed system works for everyone. And so how do we do that? Now, if we want to go a little further, Dan Larimer has some really amazing white papers and ideas out there about potentially creating 5% inflation like we do with crypto projects and distributing that equally to every American and aligning our collective incentives as a nation. You know, if the country does well, we do well. There's, some, there's a bunch of ways this could go. And I'm not saying that here's the definitive answer. These are ideas that I would like to bring forth for us to collectively discuss and to create consensus around it. And I invite you to be part of that process. Could, you could create a new crypto, and at first it was worthless, <clears throat> like all crypto, and then as people start to use it, uh, it could be, uh, and, and that crypto could just go to every citizen. Well, well you know, uh, that's and like just and Eventually just it ends up being worth about what you would want it to be worth, and it would just, be... Just this week, we've got, you know, Good Dollar came out from, uh, from Yoni Asia and the eToro team, right? If you go to gooddollar.org, only it's global. It's not just for U.S. citizens. And my first Good Dollar is waiting for me to claim today. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, any crypto can serve that same purpose, right? Travis, we can, you know, Badcoin, we talked about since it's mineable by anybody on any kind of computer, especially slower computers, that's a, a good option for uh, for ubi sure u u e i u e i all these letters <laughs> i can't got to get that earned in there get you know get people focused on earned cuz then it's like you earn it by being a part of the community you earn it by being by you know helping each other spreading the love all that you know um, it's interesting you you mentioned that it's global um I actually think that an, another reason for, uh, for Brock to become the president is that our world is shifting from um, tribal to global. And it, the internet opened this up. All of a sudden, we were all doing business with each other. We were all prospering. Everything was great. And now you're seeing leaders threatened by, potentially threatened by Bitcoin or threatened by other uh, cryptocurrencies, realizing that their their power base around uh, this tribalism 
is going away. The tribalism made perfect sense when we had, hey, that's our border. You don't go past this, and I don't go past this, and we're at peace. And that was a great thing. Well, now, where are those borders? Who really cares? We've got businesses around the world. They're all communicating with each other, all doing things with each other. And you're seeing some leaders, some the bad leaders, well, bad in a different way than bad crypto. The, the poorer leaders are saying, we want to control everything and get back to being tribal and we're going to be nationalistic and we're going to close our borders and everybody's going to be stuck in place and all that. And then the good leaders are saying, hey, we see it. It's global. It's open. And we're opening up and we're, we're, we're making Bitcoin a national currency. We're having an open uh, trade can come and go. People can come and go into in and out of our country. When that starts to happen, that doesn't mean you have to give universal earned income to everyone on the planet if you're just America and their tax base. But it does mean that you should. The more we trade, the better off we all are. And we are global. It's happening. You go around the world, you see it. There's a Starbucks on every corner, not just in the U.S., but around the world. The world's very, it's, it's an open place. And when, they, um, when a politician tries to close it up, they're trying to consolidate their power and they're making a huge mistake, but they're kind of the, the last roar of the dying lion. The lion is going, ah, and then he's dead. And, uh, and he dies because that he's passing the baton on to the next thing. And he's trying to hold on to whatever he had during that period of time. Well, now the true leaders are going to be open. They're going to be thinking, we're, we've got a big globe here. We want to operate. We want to work with each other. Um, you know, this idea of threatening each other and all that, I think that's going to go away because it's just the leaders who are threatening each other. The rest of us all just want to work together. So uh, get Brock to spread the love, not just in America, but all the way around the world. And yeah. we're going to all be a lot better off. No, that, no, that, that would be great. But it's a, it, there's, there's a lot of concern from folks around technology. And, you know, look at what's happening in China, for example, with their social credit system, right? Like, if you have they're, a bad social yeah, credit I mean, score, the, you don't get to get on an airplane. You can't get on a train. You can't do that. You can't transact. You're like, you kind of get deplatformed as a human. They're the perfect example of the dying, the last roar of the dying lion. Um, that they had, they had the world by the tail. They had a booming economy. They had entrepreneurship thriving. They had trade with everyone. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden they get a leader who's a control freak and it's destroying the country. And it's also destroying all the relationships that country has. Yeah. They announced um, actually this week that they're going to pull all private companies underneath the government. Now they mentioned oh, that. No. He, he wants to own everything. He wants to control and own everything. He's the, he's an emperor. He, you know, the idea of being president for 10 years wasn't enough for him. He had to mm -hmm. be president for life. Supreme I think it scares leader. people, I mean, the idea around we, a, we an authoritarian. We really don't want that guy yeah. in there, but he is, the, the good news is, he's the last of that tribal breed. Mm -hmm. um, you, anybody else who comes in to take over China the next time is going to do a much better job of opening it up and making it more global 
and realizing that we're all better off when we're open and global. I mean, if you're just, the simple way to look at this, this is if, if you have a house and I have a farm um, and we don't do a deal, then you die of starvation and I die of exposure. And, and you multiply that by the 8 billion people and all the service that, services that they've provided to each other over all this time. And you realize that we were living and are living a tremendous life because of all the help we're getting from all these other people around the world. Now, when you shut it down because of COVID, all of a sudden there's this weird artificial like, whoa, you know, hey, we're not living the life we were living. Hey, we can't travel. We can't. And, and that means you're shutting down the livelihoods of a lot of people and they are not helping build this, uh, this wonderful trade system that we have going around the world. And when you put up a border, you are hurting your own people. When you put up a trade war or a wall, you are hurting your own people. You, are, you, you think you're somehow helping them by you know, whatever. They are, they are not being helped. Long term, you are hurting your people because they are not able to trade with people outside of their own little geographic territory. Tim, when you talk about revolutionizing the insurance system, right? When we talk about um, a 2.0, Brock, for the future of government, we're talking about dismantling a lot of systems that have some very powerful people in charge of them, both politically and from, you know, the financial world. Um, They are not going to go quietly into that good night. How would you, Brock, propose that we reboot the system and make sure that those that will be losing don't lose, right? It's, it's pretty complicated. So I've spent years successfully talking to call it incumbents, both in terms of corporations as well as governments and helping to put some of their fear to rest. It's human nature to fear that which you don't understand. And how does one conquer fear? With knowledge, in this case. And reminding that you can't stop change. Change is coming. Technology, you you can't put the cat back in the bag. (laughs) The question is, how do we react? How do we adapt to it? And this doesn't need to be a revolution. Ideally, it's an evolution where the old and the wind can, you know, come together, win together. You know, we can create all win scenarios. You just have to be willing to participate in the change. You have to be willing to roll with it. And yes, some will and some won't. And there are benefits to participating in that change. You know, uh, 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 Tim's been around and seen so much more than I have that there's a good example of it. Charles Schwab and E-Trade, right? E-Trade was changing, you know, the brokerage market and the cost of buying stocks. Charles Schwab was one of the establishment players and Charles Schwab chose to cannibalize its existing business so that it could be a major beneficiary of the next wave. And, you know, these are, it's a very difficult thing when you're in business to say, I'm going to let go of the past and I'm going to have faith and step into the future and know that I'm going to be better off for it. And often this is the case, certainly when we're living through these moments of major 
transformation, major transition, and everybody's had to do it. Look at the internet, right? The internet has impacted you know, every business. Look at what's happening in retail right now. Look at what's happening in office spaces right now with what we're doing in virtualization. Do we think our government's going to be any less immune? Is the government not gonna be impacted by technology? That's gonna be the final frontier. And the incumbents have already been feeling it. It's been happening. And yes, a few of these legacy systems like insurance and law and money and a few of these things are the last ones. They've been impacted, but the change is you know, gonna be big and it's not bad. Don't fear it, roll with it, be part of the change. Be one Maybe of the that new- should be your campaign slogan, roll with it. <laughs> Rock and roll. Come on, rock and roll. There you go. Rock and roll. I want to ask about this because, you know, there was a key thing that happened several years, over a decade ago now with United, with Citizens United. And, and, and essentially the United States is a federal corporation under U.S. Code Title 28. Uh, it's a, the United States means a federal corporation of states. And, and so essentially it's a corporation. And uh, every citizen has a birth certificate and a social security number. That way we're, you know, included within their corporation. And now they say that corporations in a traditional sense have as much rights or more so than the U.S. citizens. And so they can donate just tons and tons of money to these, to these you know, political campaigns. And there's zero retribution that citizens can do. And these corporations and then these big, you know, monolithic, just huge organizations can donate money. And then you got certain donors that create all these other little organizations. And then they pour all these money into the district attorneys and then the governors and the mayors and all this stuff. And so this is, there's this campaign treachery that is happening that I think is, is, is really undermining the life, liberty and the security and, you know, and the the, uh, pursuit of happiness that you're talking about. How do we circumvent this web of deceit that's happened amongst us with all this money? This, this is going everywhere and, and creating the, the political leaning that they desire based on the amount of money that they pour in to these campaigns. We do it by I voting, together, uh, it by voting, by voting, by voting, by voting, and dispelling the illusion the illusion that you only have two choices. It's not true. We are the majority. Over 30% of registered voters are independents. Over 40% of eligible voters don't vote. We are the majority. The moment we break the matrix, the illusion that we only have two choices and the vote red or blue is the only choice to have, we have the moment we realize that there is another path and we start to vote for it, that is the moment it will change. And we have the power to do it right now, the moment we realize it and start doing what we know is right. Start voting for the people that you believe in, not because you've been lied to and told you can only do this or that. Well, we have a libertarian party, which has struggled to get traction. There's a green party and there's other parties. If you run down the ballot that, you know, when people go to vote, they can see those options, but they never hear about them because really the, the political forces that be the two sides, which sometimes are just two sides of the same coin, um, have the, the, the financial power and much of the media in their pockets. And so if the media is not talking about the fact that there's other choices, how do you break through? This is a, you know, it's a slow burn 
right? Very slow unless there's some sort of major awakening. How? Let's just jump right to the, the core of it then, Brock. Most people that are voters have never heard of you. How do you have a path to victory? How can you hack this because you do have a technological background to actually have a chance at this? Yeah, so I'm a systems designer. And so did you know that I don't have to win the election to become president? So how does one win the general election? So to win is to win a majority, a majority of the electoral college vote, keyword being majority, meaning in a two-party race, if there's a tie, no one wins. This is what happened in the year 1800, Thomas Jefferson versus Aaron Burr. Or if I were to win one state and it's a close race, no one gets a majority of the electoral college vote, meaning no one wins. If we win three states, it's likely that no one wins the election. So what happens if no one wins? The last time this happened was 1824. So if no one wins, the House of Representatives chooses the president, not the Democratic House. Each state gets one vote and the District of Columbia. And so whichever of the top three candidates gets 26 votes first becomes the next president. Every time this has happened, 100% of the time historically, they've always chosen the third place candidate as a compromise. And so in the year 2020, we're trying to win one, two, or three states. If we win one state, that's a home run. If we win three states, that's a grand slam. And we are coming in late. This was the strategy from the beginning. I'm not hiding it. I'm transparent. We announced July 4th, Independence Day for a reason. And I'm here in New York. I will be going to Wyoming tomorrow. Uh, Wyoming is clearly one of those states that we're interested in. And you'll start to see that in Wyoming, the maximum I can spend to get full saturation of all media is like a million and a half dollars. And it's a state that no one cares about. No one is competing for Wyoming. And guess what? It's the blockchain state. 15 laws, $20 billion of the business, and you only need 115,000 votes to win it. And so I, no one has ever attempted any strategy like this in po US political history. This is definitely, uh, you know, uh, it's a non-national strategy. It's very state specific. It's very data scientific. And it's going for third place, bronze, and through bronze, a compromise into the back door. Maybe I just don't understand. I mean, how many electoral votes does Wyoming have? Three. That's why I said it's got to be a very close race if it's only, I said, which state, right. and if it's a close race. Right now, CNN two days ago said they, that the current polls are from CNN is that this race is going to come down to one electoral college vote. Hmm. It might. It's, it's looking that close. But again, I don't listen to polls. We know that polls are not entirely accurate. They've got like a 15% variance, meaning um, uh, you're better off relying on the betting sites. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, you know, too, I would say, from 2016. Nobody got it right except, I think, one person. or one. Person. Rasmussen at the end got it right. They were the yeah. only ones. Tim, yeah, what was on your mind? I mean, even Trump didn't think he was going to win. <laughs> he seems pretty confident this time. I yeah, mean, this I, time I think he wants to. He thinks he will. Hey, Travis, I want to hit on the question you asked, because that's the really big one. And, um, and you know who's handled that? And, and it's about the special interests. It's the unions and the big businesses and how they kind of manipulate the law and they – 
they they back just the people that they want and then they they'll they'll punish people if they don't vote the way they want them to and all that um and i think it is like this is really scary the way it is but um just as i think the best way to do this is the way elon brought spacex into nasa and started to work with them and make them better um i think you can do that i think you can um, I mean, where uh, Tesla went in and said, here's an electric car, and then all the big car companies said, we need an electric car, and they're all building them now. Um, SpaceX was different. It was, hey, um, NASA, we know you know a lot. You've un you've, you understand how to make astronauts live for th three or four days in space you know how certain things have operated and how, but we know that we can launch a rocket for one two hundredth of the cost that you were launching a rocket for. And, and so I think the same kind of thing can happen in government where you bring in technology and then the big businesses and the, and the big union bosses all have to sort of fall away as these new technologies come in. And um, I talked to Brock about the idea of, of why don't we just move the capital? Mm. Move it to the middle of Topeka, Kansas, someplace no one wants to go. It's not a cool place to go, but Kansas would benefit big. And there's no our, reason. Our producer is from Topeka. She's going to hear this and she's going to agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you move the capital and all of that, the Deadwood doesn't want to move. They just say, hey, it's okay. I'll check that is out. A great, that is a great idea. And then the, and they, they kind of check out. And then the people who really care about things. And then the legacy fights and the legacy laws. And those, those things go on forever. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. And they always come up with old fights that nobody cares about anymore, but the two of them. Well, that'll go away. And you'll just have sort of a new... Um, a new group and people will go there when they really care. And, uh, and then you'll, then I think the, the people of the country will start to realize that, Hey, Hey, it's a, it's a new game. It's a new day. And maybe you say, and no, no one city can have the, the capital for more than 50 years. And, and mm. then it, it moves and then you don't have all the crusty, you know, all those things around like the historic societies and the, all that stuff that's made it so that the only people who can afford to lobby the, the government are the big businesses and the big unions. And that's the, those are the only ones that can do it now. You try, try a lot, try being Mr. Smith goes to Washington and go talk about, a new cryptocurrency. Oh my God, there would be deaf ears everywhere. But if suddenly you're in Topeka, can the country's in Topeka, Kansas, the government, it's a new government and they're kind of open. They're sort of saying, hey, we're trying to get more technologies in here. How do we improve the place? What, what do we do? Um, all of a sudden you've got a whole new country and, and we get a fresh start and that's what's happened. You know, I mean, this, I think it's absolutely amazing that 
our constitution and our way of setting up the balance of power have lasted more than 200 years and it still works. Well, it's getting a little crusty around the edges. We're, we're, there are challenges to all sorts of parts of it, the free speech, the free, all of these challenges. I think it, it just needs to sort of, every once in a while, you just need to refresh. And I think mm. this is that time. And that's why Brock is the, the fresh air candidate. I would say that Washington, D.C., you know, to, to paraphrase Jack Nicholson in The Joker, this town needs an enema. And I, it's never before more than, than now. It's been, it's, been, it's been crazy. The world seems that it's, that, that it's, been, that it's getting crazier. And, and there seems to be some parallels to the end of the Roman Empire to where we are now, you know, like with the bread and circuses of the Roman Empire. They took away our circuses they took away our sports for six months and, you know, and people were, were freaking out. There was no toilet paper. I mean, we saw, we saw the beginnings of the, the end potentially if, if the ship is not righted. And I want to touch base on something of what you said earlier, uh, Tim, about socialism, because there is a faction of folks that are here in America right now flying the hammer and sickle and wanting to move us towards communism. And I don't think they even understand what communism is because I've, I've met a lot of people who have lived in a communist nation or in a socialist nation, and not one of them has said that it was better than what we have now. America's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but if we go down this communist socialist track, it's going to be worse for everyone. You're absolutely right. Well, it's just all you have to do is look throughout history. Hong Kong, the average person was, was earning $32,000. And mainland China, they were, they were earning $100 a year. Um, socialist Russia, of course, has been a total financial disaster for the country. They, they, the bread lines and all that. And and uh, and. Uh, North Korea, I mean, they're still starving in North Korea. Venezuela, right now. In Venezuela. It's anywhere where you have a central controlling leader and government. If they centrally control and they tell you, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to do this, and we know better than you do, as soon as you have that, your economy goes right down the tubes. And that's what's happening in China today. That used to be like the center of all entrepreneurial activity was moving to China from the Silicon Valley. Mm. And all of a sudden, when you meet the entrepreneurs in China, you go, oh, God, we got nothing. This is it. This is the end of the world. As soon as this guy came in, we lost all our cloud, all our ability to build something. Nobody has any incentive to make it better. We're just trying to survive now. And and, uh, and so socialism, anytime you've got government, people are saying government should do it or you get government control or too much government influence or all these extra regulations or, or uh, there should be a law. Whenever I hear that, I go, no. <laughs> it never works. It, it never, never works. works. You, and you would because, think. Because would a law for me. People. Because if, if somebody tells me I have to do this and somebody tells you and I say, OK, that's fine. They tell you that you go, are you kidding me? This is taking away my livelihood. You know what? 
who gives that? Why do a few people in government somehow feel like they should be able to tell you what you should be able to, what you should do with your money, with your livelihood, with your family? Mm-hmm. They shouldn't. And it and, kills innovation. Like if everybody's being told what to do, then everybody's going to be like, well, all right, well, screw you. I'm not going to do nothing. You know, the one other idea I talked to Brock about um, was if you, there could be one just little tweak. You know how all the government employees, they get their pensions and all that, and we get Social Security, um, and, but they're paid and they get a CPI. So when inflation goes up, they get a CPI and an increased payment. Um, why not make that tied to GDP growth? You tie government employees increases to GDP growth, and then it's not us against them anymore. It's like we're all working on this to improve the world. We all want your business to work. We want your shelter to be better than, the, than it was before. We want you to do development work. We want you to build your business. We want your family to be educated. We want all these things to happen because our increases are based on that. And I think that that could make just a little tweak like that could really change the whole nature of government. We could be very much more aligned. You know, it was about 20 years ago that, um, that there was a switch that happened. And it was before that 20 years ago, I felt like the U.S. government and all the state governments were always asking, what can we do for you? Or how do we improve your life and liberty and pursuit of happiness? Well, now it's what have you done for me? It's what, you know, have you filled out form 341268A? Uh, because that's the one that fill, and then after you've done that, you have to go to the this, this, the other group because the the other uh, it's it's Orwellian. Uh, that that's what it is. Uh, you know, I'm curious, Brock. Have you taken the political compass test? You know that little. This is the um, here here are the you know left right authoritarian libertarian. Where where do you fall on this scale here? Well, I will actually uh, get you my test results. So you have them. Maybe we can link to them. Okay. Yeah, so I think it's politicalcompass.org, right, Joel? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So his, I mean, historically, every Democrat I've known has always assumed I was a Democrat. Every Republican I've known has always assumed I'm a Republican. Every mm-hmm. Libertarian I've known has always assumed I'm a Libertarian. I've, uh, uh, I'm very pragmatic. Are you, like, right in the middle? Are you, are you like, where the, the, you know, the lines cross? You're that guy? I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it for you. And so okay. um, uh, I guess the, the thing that I would add to what Tim just said is our government is supposed to be of, for, and by the people. And they are supposed to, supposed to be civil servants serving us, mm-hmm. the American people, our police officers. They're supposed to protect and serve. And the question is who's to blame? How did we get here? We're all to blame. We've allowed this to happen like a frog being boiled in water. We have allowed our rights to just get diluted and slowly taken away and the roles to be reversed where we've got authority now that tells us what to do and what to think. And it's feeling that way. 
And there's no one individual, there's no one corporation to blame, right? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm creating through this process, this infrastructure, not just in 2020, but in the years to come. I'm not creating another third party. There's plenty of those. I'm not creating a third major party, though that would probably benefit us. I'm creating a major platform to enable independent candidates to have the tools, resources, and infrastructure necessary to get into office, but to not be controlled by a political party, but to empower them to represent the people by speaking their truth, doing what they believe to be right. You know, I can tell you now, having done this, that for most political candidates, you have to join a political party. And by joining a political party, you get access to the infrastructure and the tools necessary to run. But there's a deal. You have to accept that political party's ideology mm. and you have to do what they say and agree and think along their lines. That's the deal. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have independent thinking. We don't have people that are even speaking the, their truth. They're reading from a script. They're not speaking from their hearts. It's not authentic. And so I want to enable candidates up and down the ticket. I'm going to support 100 candidates in 2022. And so if this is one of you paying attention, I'm looking to connect with you on November 4th and after and looking for people that want to run locally. This can be city council, mayor, whatever, state level, federal. I want to help support 100 candidates up and down the ticket. And these are not people that are career politicians. I'm looking for doctors, lawyers, teachers, farmers, scientists, engineers, business people, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, artists. I think we need a government of, for, and by the people and I want to help empower you to show up. And we don't even have to agree on everything because that's not what we need. We don't need everyone being a singular mind. What we need is diversity in our government, sitting down and having a conversation and saying, here's what I think. This is why I feel that way. Getting back to civil discourse, communicating with dignity and respect, agreeing to disagree. Our differences are what makes us beautiful. Our differences are what makes us awesome. Thank God we're different. The problem is we're not engaging in conversation. We're not allowing ourselves to be, you know, to represent what we believe in. And it starts with us voting for the people we believe in, empowering people that we believe operate with integrity and will speak truth and actually represent us with the best of their abilities as they see fit. And then allowing those conversations to result in an actual path forward and so I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this to create a platform to potentially enable you. And one of the things that's just so amazing through this process is almost every day, someone that never once in their life considered running for political office is like, Brock, I'm actually like thinking about this now. You've kind of given me the feeling that I have permission to do this. I've always looked at the government and politics and said, I don't want anything to do with that. But you've helped me realize this is the system of governance that governs over us. And if we really want to have a different America, if we want a different future, some of us have to stand up for what we believe in and actually go do a tour of duty, you know, to be civil servants, 
I love that. Showing up not for money or power, but because we believe it's the right thing because we care, you know, because I'm a father and care about our collective future. And so if this message resonates with you, please reach out to me November 4th because I am building all of this infrastructure, developing these skills to support another hundred people like us. Mm, yeah, the, the, the left has the sheer blue, the red has the win red, and, and they have all these packs that are there to, to help fund those particular parties, but the independents don't have anything. And I think that that's a really key thing that you just mentioned, because I've always thought, you know, you have these career politicians that are in office for 40, 50 years, and then they're still blaming the other guy when they've been there for 45 years and they haven't done anything. And, and a lot of times these, these career politicians they're not the empathetic, caring, wonderful person. They're, they care about power and control, the majority of them. A lot of the great people don't actually ever run for office. I always thought it would be great to have congressmen and senators be like a jury, where it's like, you know, you get voted it, you gotta, you, you gotta go serve your term in the jury. Oh, you gotta go be a congressman for two years now. You've been nominated, now you gotta do it. That would be American. Whenever you have these people who crave so much control and power and greed and working with lobbyists and, you know, that creates a, a very negative system over time. Whereas what you're talking about is uplifting people who are wanting to do good stuff to pull from Joel's trademark term, do good stuff. You know, you want to find those people and, and elevate them to be congressmen and be senators because those are the ones that are going to be pulling for the every man and the every woman, I think. Oh, I like that. I think it should be Uber drivers instead of lawyers. You know, I was thinking it's 95%, 96% lawyers on the, um, that are elected to Congress and, um, and that wasn't the intent, was it? The founding no. fathers said, Hey, you no. find somebody in your district, you go for two years and you represent, that's why you're in the house of representatives. You do your time and then you go back to farming or right. you know, so, being a draftsman or whatever. So you know how doctors sign the Hippocratic Oath and it says, do no harm. Do no harm, right? First, do no harm. I think lawyers, when they pass the bar, they should sign a Hippocratic Oath. First, you are here to, uh, to protect the law, not to become the law. I think that the law should be made by people who are not lawyers. It should be made by people who are citizens out there doing other things. The lawyers should not be representing us because they're self-interested in getting more lawyers, mm -hmm. building more laws, creating more regulation. That is not in the best interest of the people in the country. So it's almost should be the opposite. And that could be, uh, you know, of course, I'm sure there are a lot of lawyers who want to run for office because that's why they became lawyers. But, and so that'll upset them. But I'm, I'm thinking that if you're a lawyer, you should be doing no harm. You should not get in, you should not be getting involved as a proponent of one side or the other unless you're hired to do that. I think uh, it's great. We need game-changing ideas like this. It's time to flip the script. You know, it's time. It's time to act. It's the 11th hour. So let's like get up and let's do this. You know, we may not get it done in 2020, but we can lay the groundwork for real change. 
We've got the next four years in out just our community alone. We have tremendous innovation, 21st century solutions to 21st century problems. We've got incredible innovators here. Innovators and hardworking Americans are the answer to our problems. The only way out of this mess is to innovate our way out of it. And so it starts with us. Let's spread the word, you know. All right, Brock Pierce for president. Win Wyoming, and then maybe a few others. Go uh, win Wyoming. Inspirational. I, I got to roll, guys. Thank yeah, you hey, so much. This Tim, is, you thanks guys for are coming. so much fun. We appreciate you. I know you got to go shoot an episode of Meet the Drapers or something. So uh, take care. And, and Brock, um, thanks again to you. And we wish you the best. You guys can go to brock.vote and, uh, and check out the platform. And we'll catch up with you guys again soon. All right. Thank thanks. you, guys. Well, we promised you guys that this interview would deliver. And, you know, Brock understands what his chances are and he understands what the pathway is. You know, 2020 has been weird enough. You know, if you're going to end it on a really weird note, then imagine his scenario happening. Dude, if he becomes president, like, man, I'd be like, what? I have smoked. I have smoked a joint with the president. We're going to the White House. <laughs> we'll be a dad. I met Brock. We were at the uh, Coins Coins Bank cruise, and a bunch of awesome people were sitting around. And then I sat down, and then all of a sudden, I got a tap, and then Brock handed me a J. And I was like, this is America. <laughs> I, we weren't in America, but it was very American. We truly would be bad advisors. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can be on the, uh, we can be on the, uh, the cabinet. You just sit on the cabinet. Yeah, or, or just kind of take a nap in the cabinet. Or just open up the cabinet and see if there's any joints in there. Maybe it's got one of those fold-out beds in it, you know, one of those Murphy beds or something. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I've been a presidential advisor. Really? Okay. Yeah, for, for real. When, um, when George um, W. Bush was running for president, he was currently governor of Texas, and I was living in Texas – uh, I'm sorry, he was running for governor. This was would have been in the late 80s. And I went into a Best Buy and um, he I spotted two guys in suits at the end of the software aisle. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, these guys don't fit in here. And uh, I went into the aisle, you know, they're kind of looking at me, no problem. And there's uh, George Bush shopping for software for educational software for his little girls, Jenna and Barbara. And at that time, I was reviewing software for uh, so this would have been the 90s uh, my dates are all messed up uh would have been in the the late 90s in dallas mid to late somewhere in there figure it out well yeah anyway, I think he, he was governor for eight years so it'd probably be around like 91 92 yeah whenever it was i was there he was there and i'm like oh you know congratulate i congratulated him on whatever it was either winning the governorship or uh yeah it's probably winning the governorship and um and he said thank you and i said what are you looking for he said oh christmas gifts for my daughters and i and i knew this stuff i said oh well this one over here you know my kid i'm getting this for my kids so it must have been 94 95 because i had a, a son and a daughter and then they might like this one too and he said thank you so there you go that's my story i was a uh, you advised him on on uh, presidential software very nice yeah yeah, yeah. So there's that. Uh, we promised an NFT, Mr. Travis Wright, and this one we're doing a little differently. We are doing this one a little differently. There's going to be two, one of which has some audio. Mm -hmm. How about that? The very first bad crypto audio NFT 
is coming live in your ear holes. Mm. You're going to need a wax wallet in order to claim these NFTs. Now, if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you already know that that's how we do NFTs now. But if you're new to this, then go to wax.io and click on wallets and just... basically sign up for the wax cloud wallet it takes you 30 seconds you either put in a name and you know an email and a password or you can connect with facebook or uh, a number of other social platforms and it'll give you a wax wallet address that'll be five um characters a b c d e whatever those five characters are dot wham once you've got that you're ready to go go to badco.in forward slash brock and once you're logged into your wax cloud wallet you'll see two nfts one of them is going to be a static nft a badge for the show it's available for 24 hours from the time this episode drops so that means it'll go live around um 8 p.m eastern time on sunday night the uh the 27th and Mm -hmm. expire the same time the next day the other one, Mr. Travis Wright came up with this idea, is going to be a multimedia NFT. It's the same thing. It looks like the same thing, but it has the audio from the opening to the show attached to it. And of that, there's only going to be 100. The mm-hmm. first 100 of you to grab and claim this NFT, you will get this automatically into your Wax wallet. Uh, and if you miss it, Sorry, this is a, a reward for those of you who get to who jump on the show right away. Yep, and I would say this: if once you get your wax wallet uh, on Tuesday, the Nifty Box is going live. So theniftybox.com, take a look at that beautiful website that we put together and uh, read all the details on it. There is the NFT Star membership, and there's the NFT King membership. And who doesn't want to be king? King Daddy, even. It's going to be so amazing. When you go to the niftybox.com, there's actually a, I believe it's a 15 to 20 minute video where we announced this and we went in detail about what's going to be in it. And I, there's going to be people that miss this either because they put it off or they're thinking like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. And then they're going to see from others what comes in it. And the only way they're going to be able to get a membership is to buy it on the secondary market. If anybody's selling them, because I don't know if people are going to want to sell them um, or to buy the NFTs that come from the nifty box on the secondary market. It's going to be massive FOMO, FOMO of, of near biblical proportions. Oh, my. That sounds epic. Locusts. The ultimate FOMO. Hail of Frogs. Oh, my gosh. That would be a great band name. Hail of Frogs. Hail of Frogs. Frog, yeah. (laughs) Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed the show. We do have one last shout out we want to give, and I believe Mr. Travis Wright is going to very eloquently tell you about eToro. Yes, eToro. You like $50 in Bitcoin? We'd like to give you $50 in Bitcoin. So... Go to badco.in forward slash eToro. This is for U.S. residents only. Go ahead through and click it. Set your account up. Fund your account with $50 and and get your first uh, trade going. Buy some Bitcoin and then send us over that verification that you've done that. And guess what? We'll send you $50 worth of Bitcoin. So free money, folks. You should do it. Did you say give us verification that you've done that? Don't give us verification. You've done, done it. <laughs> you done, we'll do it. Done, You're done. done. Miss Travis Wright's moving from Missouri to Alabama. I moved down to Texas down here. They're eating some frogs. 
<laughs> from the hail of them. There's the a hail frogs. Plenty hail, of frogs yeah, yeah. Fly. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate you. Make sure you tell a friend about the Bad Crypto Podcast. It's easy to do. Just phone a friend, say, hey, Bad Crypto Podcast. They'll know. They'll don't know. tell a fiend. We don't need any fiends. And if they don't know, they'll say, what? And then you just say it again. Bad Crypto Podcast. And they'll say, what are you talking you said, about? Give me your phone. Just give me your phone. I'll register. I'll subscribe to you for I it. I actually did that. I met a guy. I went to see our mutual friend, uh, Brandon Adams, uh, who's mm-hmm. the author of a new book um, just over the weekend or earlier this week, rather. He was in town for a book signing. And there was two other guys that uh, were with him that were there for the book signing. We had a chance to meet. And they're like, what do you do? And I told him. And it's like, oh, I want to listen. And I said, give me your phone. And we boop, 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 subscribe. So I am out there evangelizing for us. So nice. Yeah. What else we got? Nothing? Just a big finish? Stay mad. And now, the big finish. The big finish. (laughs) This podcast had everything you would need. A hilarious, amazing teaser. A couple of great sponsors. Two amazing guests at once. Two NFTs, two amazingly super handsome hosts. Two scoops. And stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Bad crypto. Stay bad, stay bad.